Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Glad you're with us. Tuesday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Entire crew alongside, both in front of and behind the mics. We are uh, excited about today's show. We have the director for Fight for Football. It's a new documentary that will be released at the end of next month. Looking back on the Big Ten, the SEC, and college football, making it happen, uh, despite efforts at the early onset that it wasn't going to in Kevin Warren's uh, case. Um, They have a documentary going through all the decision-making to make college football a possibility back in 2020. We've got the director on with us. That's in 20 minutes. An hour from now, we have future NASCAR Hall of Famer, seven-time champion on the NASCAR circuit, two-time Daytona 500 winner, and now on the IndyCar Series full-time, Jimmy Johnson on today's program. And a bit later, Dave Hookstead with Outkick.com, covering uh, a, a lot of different avenues across the sports landscape, but uh, today we will dive headfirst into the Big Ten. Media Day's ongoing. Kevin Warren spoke today, or earlier today at the podium, uh, detailing how he is embracing change. He is embracing college football expansion, conference expansion, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into other news notes and headlines with uh, Dave. That's coming up in the third hour of today's show. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good team building exercises before the show today where we were each playing some of our favorite comedy clips leading into the show, which I thought was excellent. Got, got yep. the entire crew involved on that. Maybe you know if we have some time every day, someone, it's like show and tell. You bring in your favorite clip, your favorite movie trailer, something, and we play it for the group. I thought it was a good start to the day. Fired up about our guest list today, ready to go. Kevin Warren certainly, as you mentioned, Hutton, is ready to go with the Big Ten, and a little bit more open to talking about future conference expansion than Greg Sankey was today with his opening address. Oh, he's embracing it, Paul. I mean, yep. he's he's saying, uh, hey, bring it on. Um, the, the word that he used was aggressive. He's going to be aggressive in conference expansion, and that college football is not going to be the same, and he's not going to sit by and watch everyone else make moves. He plans on the Big Ten being the conference of decision-making. Well, Notre Dame, everybody feels like is the, the linchpin to the rest of the thing. But if he's going to be aggressive like that, I, I imagine he's not going to wait for the fighting Irish to, to be the next thing. So it, it's interesting to think about who, who would be next and who's most coveted and what happens with the ACC here and with Oregon, uh, which to me is one of the more attractive programs uh, remaining in the, in the roulette wheel, if the, you will. I was well, watching his opening statement today, and uh, it was interesting how he started. It was a clear reference to Greg Sankey last week. Um, how, how can you not look into the way he references this? Quote, 
I want to spend uh, I want to spend a few moments speaking about strength, power, boldness, and the Big Ten Conference. Uh, when you hear that from Setting the Big Ten commissioner, opposite. how can you not say that is in response to uh, anything after that is in response to what Greg Sankey said at the podium last week? Definitely point counterpoint. Last week, uh, Sankey had the floor, and uh, Warren's taking it now, and he's got a different message. Yeah, he's mean, not content. Yeah, I mean, the, the message and the tone, Chad, was last week was, well, the Southeastern Conference was a super conference even prior to conference expansion. We Recent got two good expansion. ones, and we're content. Yeah, for and the he time goes, and if you compare USC UCLA to Texas Oklahoma, we won. Texas Oklahoma wins, and we did it a year prior. And and there's no doubting that. By the way, this is Kevin Warren saying we got USC UCLA, and while you will say publicly, you being the SEC says publicly, you're you're not going to rush into uh, another decision. We're going to be aggressive and continue the expansion. Yeah, I mean it's it's like opening uh, the show and say, hey, I'm going to start by telling you guys how much I can bench. That's what Kevin Warren said. Let me tell you about how strong I am and how strong this conference is. It was interesting hearing those opening remarks. Um, I don't want but to take a, also, I, Greg Sankey is spot on in that there is no comparison when you compare Texas-Oklahoma versus USC-UCLA. The SEC won in that, big time. Television numbers, football success, yes. whatever you want to throw out there, they won. Now, the one thing that the Big Ten wants to keep harping on, and we'll talk with Dave, David Hookstead about this a little bit later also, and he... he focused on this in his opening address, Kevin Warren did, with the Big Ten. We now own the New York market, the Chicago market, and the L.A. market, the three biggest markets in the U.S. Rutgers is a non-factor in New York City. They do not own the New York that market. That is not I, – I hate when they bring up the New York market. Rutgers is a non-factor in New York City. The biggest factor in the city of Chicago is Notre Dame, who you would love to add. Illinois, Northwestern, I would argue Ohio State is a bigger factor in the city of Chicago – than Illinois and Northwestern. It's not that big of a deal in that market. But they do have a presence Now, there. granted, you've got USC and UCLA. Those are the two brands in L.A. So I'll give you that. I mean, from a college sports perspective, you've got L.A. down pat. But the other two, give me a break. But I, I, I give them Chicago in that I think a lot of Big Ten people settle in Chicago the way a lot of SEC people, though Vanderbilt's not a big SEC presence, a lot of SEC people are settled here in Nashville. Or Atlanta. I'll give them Chicago that way. Yeah, okay. Then then the SEC says, well, we have Nashville, Atlanta yeah, fair. combined uh, also. But I'm saying if you're just trying to pinpoint... I, I, they don't have New York. This whole... That's ridiculous. The ideology that's so outdated when they brought Rutgers in, I think in 2014, of now we have New York City. Yeah, everybody said that it's was ridiculous from the start. It's been foolish. And when you look around the other they ha- conferences... They have New York City more with Penn State than they do with yeah, Rutgers. I agree. Um, so Stuart Mandel wrote about this for The Athletic. When you look at the other remaining conferences, we immediately jump to, okay, the Big 12 now has the upper hand over the Pac-12 for two reasons. One, it was the Pac-12 that just got left at the altar by USC and UCLA. So they're wounded. Whereas the Big 12 just added teams in BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF. And also, the Pac-12's television contract is bad, and the finance of the league are bad. But when you look at sheer television numbers per game of programs, of the Big 12 schools, the, the existing ones, not the ones that are going to be moved in there, which aren't going to add too much to it either, Oklahoma State would rank seventh in the Pac-12 of average audience per game. 
That's for the first one on the list. Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Colorado, Utah all have more average TV viewers than Oklahoma State. So, again, we're looking at two different conferences and two different financial places, but there is some value there with some of those remaining schools in the Pac-12 from a TV audience eyeball standpoint that maybe they have some more negotiating wiggle room than we thought. Here's another way the Big Ten ought to make a statement. Uh, win more. Uh, Ohio State does its share. Who's the second team and how often are you there? Uh, SEC's doing better in that. Well, Michigan this last year went to the playoff uh, and beat Ohio State. So that, a that's a nice time step. Uh, out of the picture. I think Michigan's didn't Michigan State have one trip to the college football playoff? I, I think I'm trying to think of other Big Ten teams to even go to the playoff. Since it's been instituted, Penn State has not. No. Michigan had the one this year. I think Michigan State got into one. Outside of that, did Wisconsin ever go? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. So it's, it's Ohio, Ohio State, State, Michigan State once, Michigan once. And that's just doing quick and memory had, skills um, in my head. You know, they've had Iowa and, and Penn State win at a, at a high clip early in seasons, uh, only to face off against the Ohio States of the conference and then fall out of the Big Ten. They're either either fall out in the regular season or fall out in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State. But they're not nearly the presence that Alabama has been. No, but and now but Georgia. The, the got Big Ten in would and, say and um, you can you can put us in pin every year for the college football playoff. How many yeah. conferences can you say that? The, they're going to be yeah, there. Well, they're but clearly second best two. conference. I think we'd all say they that. they are riding. This is you see this a lot from from Big Ten people will say, well, the SEC is overrated because it's really just Alabama that carries the SEC. Well, that's just not true. It's the Big Ten that's carried by Ohio State in football. More, way more so. And I'm not saying the Big Ten's a well, bad football heavy, conference. Certainly, but... But, I mean, okay, Georgia just won a national title. LSU won it two years ago. Alabama's won it in between. I mean, there's multiple teams from the SEC that are competing for the playoff and winning. Yes, Alabama's had more success than anyone else under Nick Saban. But it's not a one-trick pony in the SEC. You've had other teams rise up. Auburn, you know, in the last 12 years has won a national championship. Teams rise up and make a run that's not just Alabama. To your point, Paul, the Big Ten could use a little bit more of that from some of these very good, steady, solid programs. Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State. They could use a little bit more from them. Penn State needs to take that next step also. Well, that that's where I think they, they feel like they can get on a more even playing field if the college football playoff expands. And that was another point of emphasis for Kevin Warren this morning where he said he's all for it. He, he wants to see the college football playoff expand to beyond just the current four teams. Um, and, and But he, what's the one stipulation that he threw in there about that? Because there's always a but with Kevin Warren on that. The automatic qualifiers that he was talking no, about? No. Now his, his but is... I'm not doing it with one television provider. We need multiple networks involved. He's, he does not want to Why? do it just with ESPN. He wants multiple networks involved well, in the ESPN, college football playoffs. ABC would be. I don't. I don't blame him on this, one. and I, I would say well, the same is, about any one he's network. Not in bed with them. He doesn't want now. Well, the Big Ten has a has a, a deal with ESPN also. No, but they're working on a billion dollar annual contract that's coming up, and that's going to be streaming, and that's what he's going to point to: live streaming. Uh, and what is CBS going to do now that they're losing the SEC? They're going to get, they're going well, to get the look, sheets in, ready for Big Ten football. For sure. He's looking out for himself. But again, in theory, 
I completely agree with that. You need, just like the NFL has multiple broadcast partners, if you are a college football playoff and you have any sense of impropriety because there's one provider that is picking teams for that playoff or assisting with that, that is a problem for the integrity of a sport. So I don't think Kevin Warren is is in it for the reasons I'm saying. I think he's looking out for the Big Ten and their negotiations with this, wanting to get multiple networks. But I'm not saying this is just anti-ESPN. I'd say it if it was CBS, Fox, anyone. I don't think it's necessarily a – it could be good business for that network. It's not good for the integrity of your sport if you've got one network and one company in charge of the playoff that crowns your national champion every year. So from that perspective, I agree with Kevin Warren that it would be good to get others involved where you don't have a monopoly with one network. And to my knowledge, the so the college football playoff contract is up in 2025. And the, yeah, the Disney, ESPN, ABC, they have the right of first refusal based on offers to retain it, um, it or expand it, for that matter. If they want to expand the college football playoff, ESPN gets to bid, and then they get the right to match any high bid in order to take over the additional games for it. They also own bowl season. All but one bowl game last year was uh, on ESPN. So the other one if you're streamed? going to – it was CBS Sports Network or something, I think. So if you're going to um, – or FS1. If you're going to negotiate for the, the college football playoff that you have current bowls that are going to play semifinal, quarterfinal – Whatever it is, those bowl games are locked into ESPN broadcasts as well. Music City Bowl right here in town. Contract with ESPN. Not with the college football playoff. So it goes beyond just Kevin Warren saying, let's, let's open it up, open the floodgates for all these different networks. You know, there's, Every individual network would love to just own the, the NFL as well. And Warren's coming from the NFL model prior to taking over the Big Ten. Yeah, it makes I, sense I like, what he's saying. It makes sense, but it's just... That, that's another example of the distrust that they have for the ESPN structure and who's running things behind the scenes. And given ESPN's prior relationship and as I, compared to theirs. Going back to his opening statement today, I think he sounds like a man who's got one eye uh, behind him the whole time. Yes. Because the, you're going to operate from a show of force to say, we got blindsided by Oklahoma and Texas. Not going to happen again. We are now going to be the one that's acting. If someone's going to blindside the other now, we're going to deliver the first blow. If we decide to come off 16 teams, we're going to be the first ones to do it, not the SEC, to dictate the next move. I think that's what Kevin Warren's saying. By the way, college football playoff appearances, 2014 it started. Alabama's been seven times. Georgia twice, LSU once. So not great for the SEC with variation. Ohio State and the Big Ten, four appearances, and outside of that Michigan State, Michigan, we were correct. One apiece for those schools. So seven, six? Very, no. very top-heavy with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Seven for Alabama, these are appearances. Six for Clemson, four for Ohio State, four for Oklahoma. This is the biggest That's knock on sucks. what a four-team college football playoff has done is it has perpetuated this endless cycle of these teams made the original ones, they made it a few years after that, and now every top prospect is simply going to sign up to play for those teams to get in to that continue team. this, and you're not going to have many outsiders. 
Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360, NFL news of the day. The 49ers continue to just tell the media exactly what's going on. Uh, and today, Kyle Shanahan made it official. They, they, they're moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is the Trey Lance era for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, they said that they, they wish Jimmy the best. He's still a member of their roster. Um, he reported to training camp. They are actively trying to trade him. They say he's healthy. He continues to throw. Um, and uh, he went on to say that the, the uh, Shanahan went on to say uh, he he would also understand that we're looking out for our football team, and they made the move last year in the draft to go get the future of their franchise, and they're turning it over to Trey Lance officially, uh, regardless of all the discussion that oh Garoppolo could stick around he could, but Trey Lance is the starter week one barring injury, and now they will trade him for pennies on the dollar. Yep. Um, and th- maybe they would have anyway, given the, the way the offseason was was turning. But they're either getting something in return and signing a guy, uh, something I'm saying in the draft future in return and signing a guy off the street, or they have a very expensive Jimmy Garoppolo as the backup. No, they've got a backup they like. Uh, is it Nick Mullins? They signed uh, him to a uh, contract that they like. It'll take me a second to find uh, find the name, but uh, he's there. You know, come yeah. get him. Yeah, they like him as the backup. So come get him if you want him. Uh, wait it out if you want to play that game. Uh, price is going to come down. It's twenty five million, not not guaranteed as I thought it was earlier in the off season. The pressure's on Trey Lance. I mean, because it's been a pretty good operation, and they wanted to take it to the next level when they traded up to go get, I I think we didn't know who. I think they didn't know who. The presumption was Mac Jones for a long time. Then it flipped to Trey Lance. Small sample size on Trey Lance so far, and not that good. So he needs to step it up and have a big camp and be ready to go for a football team that's pretty good outside of uncertainty of the quarterback spot. Mullins is now in Vegas. Okay, Uh, so I got the wrong name. So he was there. Yeah, and whoever it is, and it should be a more memorable name to me, so I apologize because we've talked about him a number of times. It is Brock uh, Purdy? Nate Sudfield. Sudfeld. <laughs> they Nate just drafted Sudfeld. Brock Purdy. Yeah, Brock Purdy's number three. Nate Sudfeld, who got a two-year good contract coming from Philadelphia. Jimmy Johnson will join us in just under 45 minutes from right now. When we come back, we have the director for Fight for Football. It's a new documentary on the 2020 college football season, taking a look at the Big Ten and beyond, saving the 2020 college football season. We will talk with the director, Joe Weasel. He's next on Outkick 360. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience and VitaLifeScience.com, our trusted partner that keeps us mentally sharp and healthy with their wonderful supplements. VitaLifeScience.com is the website. VidaLifeScience.com is where you can receive a 15% discount with the code Outkick 360. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left for your benefit. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Aurora supplements absorbed in the bloodstream through the GI tract, and that ensures it's not wasted like a capsule or pill. Visit VitaLifeScience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. Vita, V-I-D-A, LifeScience.com. Remember you had CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd, writing a piece saying if the season was played, multiple players would die. 
right? They would literally die. And I looked at the data and just kept looking at the data and saying that basically the idea that anybody was gonna die was far-fetched, that they would die because of football was virtually zero. You had the national media, they couldn't understand why Ohio State and the Big Ten parents and Big Ten players wanted to play, all the while having no qualms with any of the other players that, or any of the other coaches, didn't have a problem with Nick Saban wanting to play. You're mocking the parents at, at Big Ten at the Big Ten protest. You're mocking them for, for trying to play while, while apparently being just fine with other conferences playing. It felt dirty, it felt hypocritical. It felt like they were carrying water for conference sources, to be honest with you. The new documentary is Fight for Football, and uh, you can check that out on streaming platforms. The director's Joe Weasel, and he joins us on Outkick 360. Joe, thank you for the time. Um, Thanks, I, guys. Uh, I know I was on Vimeo uh, recently, so I know it's available on Vimeo for rent, and uh, the official launch across uh, all streaming platforms is soon, correct? That's correct. We started with Vimeo. It was the easiest and quickest, and we wanted it up right as college football was starting up to give people a look back at something that uh, I think we ought to all remember and kind of remember the consequences of. Well, the, the the part of all this that I forgot was the fight that the parents put up at the team facilities uh, and at conference offices trying to have their kids play college football while other big power conferences were going to play. Kevin Warren said that the season was not going to happen and the topic was not going to be revisited and soon, soon after that, it certainly was. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It sure was. It, uh, the film is, you know, I wanted to do this because I love college football like everybody else out there, right? And uh, really wanted to remember what was going on because it was something, if you remember back at that time, everybody needed it. We were in dark places. It was COVID. And then all of a sudden, when you thought it wasn't going to happen, there was that fan reaction. But then, as you said, there were families that literally just were not going to stand for it. And I've covered news before, you know, I've been in situations where you've had deaths and things like that. This was some of the most passionate, pissed off groups of people I think I've ever seen in a single incident. And uh, they were not backing off. And the Big Ten removed uh, its bylaws from the website <laughs> during this, uh, showing or not showing anyone the bylaws because they knew that the the vote that they said took place really didn't take place the way the presidents and ADs would would account for that following week. Yeah, it was it was pretty mysterious, huh? Um, you take a step back. How did they get to that point? And this was one of the things when we talked to Clay about when you think about it. And that was eight Nebraska football players sued the Big Ten. And uh, I don't think there would have been a Big Ten season without those eight players because there's this amazing thing in law called discovery. And uh, it was about a two-week span from that lawsuit that they remove uh, 
the uh, the guidelines. They removed some things from the website, and all of a sudden, it became okay health wise to play football again. It's uh, it the film's a messy look into that. It's a behind the scenes look into that. We have an attorney, Dan Lusk, who does a great job with it. He raises some issues that uh, some of those things are still gone unanswered, and nobody's been held accountable for some of that stuff. And it's it's one of the fascinating things of the film that you look back on that you wonder, huh? Some people, either people got away with something or, or it just didn't matter anymore because we got back to football. Remind us the timetable about how close this came not to not happening and where Ohio State, I guess this story came out not that long ago that they considered maybe going rogue and having an independent season. It was a it was an amazing microcosm. Uh, you were looking at the film. It was kind of like society, right? The haves and have nots. Ohio State had just gotten a new uh, president, and she had actually played uh, field hockey at Stanford, so she had an athletic background. She wasn't even on the job, and we were able to find some of her communication with the athletic director, Gene Smith, who ultimately I think goes as one of the unsung heroes in this film. That uh, he did a lot of work, but she just reached out right away and said, can we go independent? And uh, I think that shocked a lot of people. It was quickly because of contracts and, you know, it was quickly dispelled, but she wanted to play. And uh, when you look at it, there was about three presidents that really were focused on the game, were focused on playing. And there were a number of them not. And when you watch the film, I think you're going to have to decide what was the motivation for these different people? Because uh, I think everybody's takeaway might be different, but again, I looked back and we were done with it and done shooting. And it goes, it was really a microcosm of society. It was kind of the SECs, the big tens of the world. And then the other ACCs and the you know, big 12 and the PAC 12. It was an interesting dynamic that really reflects society to be candid. Yeah, and honestly, you know, you're right about that. And the way the nation was divided by geography in a lot of ways, and in many cases, political leanings also. In Nebraska, in the middle of that, and I've got family in Nebraska, just came from back there. I remember that time, Joe, where there are a lot of people saying Nebraska should leave the Big Ten if they feel this way, if they really want to play football that bad, and almost ostracizing Nebraska, their people, their fans. Has there been any sort of mea culpa from the Big Ten towards Nebraska, towards greater football community over this, where they've come back and acknowledged, hey, we, we probably went a little bit too far? Or has it just been, we'll move forward, they played the games, and we're not going to talk about it anymore? I think if you went to the former athletic director at Nebraska, Bill Mose, and ask him that, it would be a different answer than the current administration. And um, the end of the film, we, uh, we covered it almost a year ago today. We were at the Big Ten media, and there was a question to ask of the commissioner a year later. He had to reflect, what would he have done different? And when you think about the Nebraskas and you think about the tension and you think about the vote and you think about the management, you think about they had a schedule. It was perfect. It would have worked. It was canceled. You think about all the chaos, the lawsuit. And the response was that he wouldn't have done anything different. So when you think about the Nebraskas of the world, the people that, you know, you got to think about Nebraska. Nebraska, that is their deal, right? 
if you're in Chicago, you got the Cubs, you got the Bears. Uh, if you're even in Columbus, Ohio, where I live, you got the Blue Jackets. You have you have other stuff. That's it, Nebraska. And uh, to answer your question, I would bet those wounds have not healed. And I've heard nothing that there's been any kind of discussion. Now, they may have talked behind the scenes. Maybe there's been, you know, the the dinner, the prayer meeting, whatever they do, uh, but nothing publicly. You know, at least that I've been made aware of. Yeah, and Joe Weasel, director of, of Fight for Football, fightforfootball.com, is our guest on Outkick 360. Watching some of the clips of this film, I know you get in to some of the media coverage of this and just seeing the clip we played as we introduce you, you see some tweets from college football insiders and writers on that. I'm curious how much you get into that in this film where media helped shape a lot of this for good and bad, and how much of it was not just opinion about the virus at the time or the risk of playing football, but also how this is all intertwined with relationships with conferences. Because if some of these writers have relationships and sources within the Big Ten office, it's going to help them in the future if they do the bidding of the Big Ten in whichever the way the wind is blowing at that time. How much of that do you get into, Joe? Yeah, we do touch on it. And it was interesting. One of the people that was most candid about it was Clay. Um, I didn't know Clay had a cabal of writers that were basically secretly trying to keep football in play. And he talks about that in the film. I found that completely fascinating. If you remember back then, he had a morning radio show and he was always say, I'm going to save the Big Ten or he alluded to it. He actually almost did. I think, he, well, he did. He was a big driver behind it. But what's interesting on the national scale, when we interviewed a lot of the beat writers, because they really do know, you know, if you guys been around a good beat writer of a college football program, they know the coaches, they know the parents, they know the recruits, they know the players, how they were recruited. They know the administration. They really had the pulse. And you almost had a sense that the local writers, the people that knew the teams, were almost at war with some of the national writers. Because it almost felt like if you watch the film, you'll see there was a narrative coming from the national side, but then there was reporting on the human side coming from the beat writers. And it, when you looked at it, it was almost like these were two completely different worlds that were existing. And I got to give it up to like, we interviewed the Clemson uh, beat writer. He's in it, the Alabama writer, Iowa, Nebraska's in it. Those they were living it with the players, and I think that was something that was completely lost on the human factors of really what these guys were going through with the protocols. What they were forced to go through to play football was completely lost, I think, on the national media. And there were a lot of narratives that when you watch the film, you'll see and you look back and you're kind of amazed that some people still have the voices they have. Yeah, and I, look, I have a very negative opinion of Dan Wolken. I'm very upfront about that. I've had a back and forth with him on, on this show. Uh, I, I don't respect the guy's work at all, and I certainly don't respect his opinion on this. And he, in fact, he was proven to be completely wrong. I'm curious, how many of those national media members had the courage to respond to you, or did you reach out to any of them to appear in this film? And did you get anyone to say yes? Bill Bender from Sporting News was the only national writer that would agree to go on camera. Um, most of those, you know, when you're putting a film together like that, they just went unanswered. Uh, it, I'll tell you an interesting inside story, though. Uh, when we would go try to approach athletic directors, coaches, and people like that, you normally go through the local writer, whoever's the favorite beat writer, and they usually help you do that. Those guys all, you know, men and women that were inside like that, 
really didn't feel like they could talk on it on camera, but it was amazing how many wanted to feed you information and talk to you off camera, off, offline. And so we had to use our local guys to kind of drive that because in a lot of ways they spoke for a lot of people. The one player that we were able to interview extensively was Jonathan Cooper, who played at Ohio State, now plays with Denver Broncos, very candid. And I think he did the great job of really capturing what a college football player was going through. And uh, it's dark. Um, It's hard to look back at that and not think that there had to be mental health issues and just it almost was almost a, uh, a darkness, a prison environment because they had to be corralled. They had to be everything they did. And remember the, you know, the tracing and everything was monitored. And then, you know, you had the national writers and people of just very flippant acting like they were, they were living at a, a country club. That still kind of grates me a little bit on, on that perspective. And I appreciate your question because you would think that there'd be like some big program or a forum where they would take this and they go, we're going to look back the year 2020 and what did we do right? What did we do wrong? There's been no recap, no relook. And uh, the film is probably the closest thing you'll ever get to that. And, and a big reason why I think there's been no recap or look back is because they did eventually play football. Had they not, you, Joe, had they not, Joe, well, I mean, you're looking back on an, uh, on a year where Conference USA played football, but the Big Ten was going to scrap it. Uh, that that was that would have been glaring. That would have had everyone looking back on that decision. You know, and Bill Bender of Sporting News talks about that. And you look about it, you know, and that's why I come back to those eight Nebraska football players. Not only did they sue the conference, again, the discovery and the beautiful thing, and I think Clay even said this at the time, he goes, it, the beautiful thing about that lawsuit is it's in Nebraska. It's not in New York. It's not in Chicago. And he said, the odds are, there's going to be a judge that either went to the University of Nebraska Law School or, or has some connection. And sure enough, we looked and she went to the University of Nebraska as an undergrad, and I think Pepperdine Law School or something. But she was a very reasonable judge. And when the Big Ten rolled in, uh, she said that these players do have a right because back then it was they had a right to understand the medical reasoning. And that was the angle they took, that they wanted the medical data provided and they wanted also um, all of the information on the meetings. They wanted basically like a FOIA, Freedom of Information. They wanted emails pertaining to all of that. Less than two weeks later, the Big Ten suddenly announced a new schedule. The irony of the whole thing was though, the Big Ten had originally offered an alternative schedule where they were going to just play conference games. They were going to start earlier. If they would have just followed the original plan, they'd have gotten a full season in. They got what? I mean, Ohio State didn't even play a full season. They had to make a rule up to allow them to get into the Big Ten championship because they didn't play seven games. And uh, you look at that, if they just would have gone with their logic and the path that really the SEC did and the ACC did, it would have worked out. But you, you can't watch the film. I, I mean, I even when you look back, you just wonder was there a narrative? What was really driving it? And I think the viewer and the people who watch this are going to have to decide what they think really happened. Did they change uh, the way people, they... Sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, I just think some people are going to have a, an opinion of certain groups of people and other groups of people. And I think if you look today, the management style of those people and those jobs really are kind of reflected in how they managed COVID. Did they change the way that they, they go about um, voting 
you know, the, the transparency of it, because there was a lot of discrepancies on who voted for what and when, and if there even was a vote. Uh, did anything like that change behind the scenes on how the Big Ten or just conferences in general will go about doing this in the future? Uh, the last I looked, they've actually tightened up their inner communications and they've lawyered it up a little bit to where they're trying to make some things uh, client lawyer privilege, and they've uh, changed the communications to where it becomes privileged. So they've actually gone the other way, at least at the Big Ten, to where that is more. Uh, there's a couple of articles been written about some of the changes of the Big Ten, and that's one of the things that uh, they've tightened up. Because you remember, there were some emails that were found, and right. that was part of why they, they didn't know how they were voted and um, got them in trouble. And they've gone the other way. Transparency is one of the things that uh, I think was lost in COVID besides the football season. Well, there's no press conference. There's no statement. No. You know, There was a statement released, but it was brief. There was no reasoning yeah. behind it, no availability to the media. It was all very bizarre. And then you had, the, like you're saying, the local guys are calling their university presidents, coaches, administrators, ADs, and they're saying there was no vote. But you've got the commissioner's office saying there was. Um, uh, the whole thing, yeah. just you look back on, is it, very bizarre. I've only seen uh, the clips of of the the film. I'm looking forward to watching the the entire piece uh, coming up for for our listeners, for our viewers. Let everyone know where they can get it. Aside from Vimeo, which is at Vimeo.com/slash/on-demand/slash/fight-for-football. Right. Coming up, you'll have it on multiple streaming outlets. Right, we got on a Vimeo first because it was the fastest, and then in a few weeks it'll be slowly released to the other uh, platforms as well. But like I said, we wanted to find a way to get it out quick because of the timing. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I just appreciated doing the film and I, I do appreciate Clay's involvement. I think he gave it, he gave it, you know, what he always does. He doesn't hold back anything. And I think what, what is interesting is he was able to give us some of the insights that we kind of knew were happening that he confirmed. But, you know, looking at the film going forward, I think COVID was a, was a marking point in history for college football and uh, kind of the way they managed COVID reflects how they manage NIL now, how they're managing the transfer portal. And you can just, it's an inside look that I think is fascinating. It was an honor to do the film and I hope people enjoy it. Joe Weasel is the director for Fight for Football, fightforfootball.com for more info. Thank you for the time. And uh, again, we look forward to watching your film. Great. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, we've got some clips coming up during the break, the video portion of this uh, that you can also check out uh, and then go check out the film itself. Coming up, we'll get into what some GMs across the NFL had to say. Paul heard uh, firsthand from John Robinson here in Nashville. A lot of media availability today from different franchises as we are right on the doorstep of training camp, officially starting practice tomorrow. And Kyler Murray and Study Hall and... <laughs> While this is just bizarre, it's also very strange on the Cardinals' end of things, not just Kyler Murray's side of the contract. That's next, and now kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
Coming up in 10 minutes, NASCAR legend and current IndyCar driver Jimmy Johnson will join us. Looking forward to that conversation. In about 30 minutes, we will get into the news and notes across the NFL. Training camps opening up. Retirements, there's a couple of them uh, of note across the league today. And players who remain unsigned but were discussed today by general managers across the, the NFL. Uh, Paul, you were there for John Robinson's uh, take on an assessment on the offseason and going into the 2022 season for, for his ball club. Uh, what were some of the, the big takeaways from the man in charge? Well, between he and uh, Mike Vrabel also spoke, a uh, couple things come to light. First, first off, um, I, I'm not certain that the Titans knew that uh, Traylon Burks had asthma. <laughs> when they drafted him, which is another, if that's the case, another disappointing. I don't think Sam Pittman, the head coach at Arkansas, knew he yeah. had asthma based well, on his response. Well, that's why. That's what prompted somebody to ask if the Titans knew. And he said, I think Traylon was uh, pretty transparent with us when we had him in here. He admitted he had some stuff in college that he felt like he needed to be better at. So he spun it off of asthma and into uh, other stuff but if the titans drafted a guy with another medical issue that they didn't know about with all of the stuff that they've had with first rounders that just don't don't know how to dig and based, out stuff based on the way it was all handled for two weeks the debate back and forth about how how can this guy be out of shape and is he injured or what's going on the way it was handled leads me to believe they didn't know. Yeah, I, I suspect that they didn't know. It's well, another I, I, blemish on their first-round record. At any rate, at the, it at sounds the like calling he's in someone shape a liar now. here. I feel like if Arkansas didn't know, his head coach didn't know, and he comes there and he didn't, didn't tell him, this seems like another cop-out for being out of shape to go and say, well, it's asthma that's acting up. If no one else knew, and now suddenly there's reports from Diana Rossini that he's now in shape well, and everything's fine. I think fine. it was both. I mean, I said he was out of shape. And if he had asthma, there might have been a day or two there was asthma. But people generally get their asthma under under control with inhalers and, and medication and right. the like. And he's played with asthma before in weather similar to this it's, because he played in the SEC. It's very clear. It's no mystery. It's very clear he was out of shape. Very and, clear he's and, out of shape. Uh, it's clear. They made it clear today he's ready to go. And they said he's had two good days. So injured players and rookies have been working for two days. And they said he's had two good days of work. Buster Screen has retired. Um, look, he's not a huge factor here, but he was the veteran cornerback in a group of very young players. He played very well last year, the best football of his career probably. So I think that leaves them a yeah, little short. They're going to sure. need another cornerback, but they need a veteran cornerback, I think, for all these young guys. Fulton going into year three, but year two of playing. Caleb Farley hasn't played. He's coming off injury. Roger McCreary, a second-round pick. Those are your three prime guys. They don't have a vet to lean on in that room any longer. Um, they're expecting, Mike Vrabel said, Jeffrey Simmons to practice tomorrow. No contract information from Robinson, but I, I don't get the sense that there's anything going on there. Um, Robert Woods and Caleb Farley both coming back from ACLs. 90% work rate, it sounds like. They're not going to do that one-on-one -on -one tackling drill where guys come to balance against each other. And Vrabel, interestingly, said they're asking them to kind of offer some ideas on the extra stuff they could be doing since they mirror each other as a receiver and a cornerback. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And, and I wrote a bit about uh, Vrabel, I thought, interestingly said, because I asked him, 
you know, you guys talked about being great around uh, Ryan Tannehill. Are you better personnel-wise? And he said, I don't want to be a coach that relies on talent. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's interesting. And, That's an interesting answer for yeah, that. Well, I, I mean, they need talent to replace A.J. Brown, clearly. But he's saying, I'm never going to say, you know, we rolled the ball out and we lost to somebody because they're better than we are. Yeah, he's not an I'm excuse I'm coaching guy. people up. We're teaching people. And we have talent. I We're going to be as good as anybody that else. That statement is why he won coach of the year, quite frankly. Right. But it's on Robinson to acquire better players. And at some point you have to say, well, we don't have the talent to go throw a short pass and have a guy bully one defender and run past the rest of the team like we did with A.J. Brown. You can't coach up a guy to have that talent. So I respect what he's saying and the philosophy. But also, if Traylon Burks can't do some of what A.J. Brown did, you simply don't have enough talent to make up for what you've lost out on there. And uh, going into the, uh, the the first practice, you mentioned the contract stuff on Simmons. Uh, just to, you know, the the opposite of that out in San Francisco, they're fully telling everyone that they're negotiating currently with Debo Samuel. I actually an extension. I have a bit of an outside connection that uh, thinks that'll get done within a week. Which one? Debo Samuel. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know why you put it out in the public the way they did today at the pressers without thinking it's done soon because they said talks are going very well and they openly admitted that they're going to rework the contract that Debo wants to rework. Uh, We'll get further into news and notes from the NFL coming up, including Kyler Murray and irrelevant teams at this point. But when we come back, Jimmy Johnson joins Outkick 360. 